Hey everyone, this is Greg. And this is Matt, and we are Record Mashup, a weekly podcast that picks two songs centered around a central theme each week, compares and contrasts them, along with some song facts for each. And uh, if you haven't followed us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, please do so. Give us a like, follow us, give us a comment, or you can also email us at recordmashup at gmail.com. So you could let us know what songs you'd like to hear, or if there's a theme that you'd like us to tackle, we'd be happy to take on your suggestions. Greg, what do we got lined up this week? This week we'll be talking about Rain. The song that I'll be discussing will be I Wish It Would Rain by The Temptations, one of my all-time favorite groups. And then Matt, what song do you have? We're going to do Purple Rain by Prince, another really great song. So let's let's go ahead and jump into Purple Rain by Prince. It was off of his sixth studio album, which also served as the soundtrack to the film by the same name. And it was released on September 26th, 1984. Uh, but the album had actually come out prior to that. So the, the single was released on September of 26, but the album had previously come out on June 25th of 1984. And what's interesting, Greg, I don't know if you, you saw this, but the song was originally written to be a country song. And he had reached out to Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac. I did see that. Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, he was hoping that she would she would do a, a collaboration with with him. But she she declined. She didn't she just didn't think it was it was a song that she could t- take on. She thought it was a little heavy. But um, yeah, it says that. Uh... Direct quote from her, I listened to it and I just got scared. I called him back and said, I just can't do it. Uh, yeah. I wish I could, but it's too much for me. So she was just pretty overwhelmed with the song in general. Yeah. Which, um, you know, it's kind of a cool little story, but um, in any event. So so she she backed out of wanting to record this with Prince. And so he's just playing around with his band one day. I guess, I don't know if they were in the studio or if they was after a show or before a show maybe. But anyway, he's playing around with his band. And he said, hey, I want to try this song. And and it was still kind of, you know, envisioned to be this country song at the time. But one of his uh, band members, Wendy Melvoin, Mel- Melvoin, I'm actually not sure how you say it. So I apologize to our listeners. But in any event, uh, Wendy added the guitar piece to the song added some chords that really kind of started to transition the song into the power ballad that it eventually became. And, and so it's kind of a, kind of an interesting way of song of writing the song. You know, typically we heard about Prince who would record hundreds of songs in his home studio, but this one came out of a jam session more or less uh, with his band revolution. So a little bit different, style of writing for for prince i think but but nonetheless it, it resulted in arguably one of his best songs of his entire career yeah and also it wasn't it wasn't like it was written for a uh album it was written for an actual film right so the purpose of the song was for the film maybe it was even though it was generated during like a jam session or whatever but that was the whole purpose of the song was for the film which I thought was interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in the film, in case you don't know, is by the same name, Purple Rain. <laughs> and Prince uh, actually starred in the film as well. Yeah. Which was pretty, pretty cool. So, uh, later, go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, that's kind of a great segue because lyrically, you know, in the film, the character is reconciling um, with um, his relationship with several people in this song. And so it kind of plays on that, but I, I we'll get into this in, in a little bit, but I think that there's some deeper meanings and some interpretations of the song that go beyond that character development and plot of the film. Mm-hmm. But, but in the first verse, you know, he's talking about how he doesn't want to cause any pain or sorrow to this individual he's referring to. And he wants to just see them laughing in the rain. And of course then, you know, purple rain. And then we jump to the second verse and he's talking about how he doesn't want to be their weakened lover. And he's upset that their a friendship with this individual has ended. And, and then in the third verse, he, or the song evolves to talk about how times are changing and that everyone needs to move on and reach out for something new. And so we kind of get this idea of this evolution of things are ending, but we're, there's a, there's new hope there's, there's rebirth and, particularly in this third verse where things wanting to take on a new, a new life, uh, if you will. And so I think that kind of starting to get into a little bit about what's this song really about. And there was actually, Prince was actually asked at one point what it was about. And it was kind of an interesting and also kind of mystic explanation that he provided. And he talked a little bit about how, the song is about the idea of red and blue blood mm-hmm. in the sky and how this idea of, you know, you know, the, on the color wheel, red and blue combine to make purple, right? So that's where this idea of purple comes from. You get red and blue blood, it combine to make purple. And he talks about how the purple rain is actually pertaining to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith and God guide you through the purple rain. Which I think is kind of a depressing tone, really, when you think about end of the world, this apocalyptic. <laughs> well, I, I take it as end of the world, uh, not not as like the like apocalypse happening, but more <laughs> just like be, being with the one that you want to be with, right? At yeah. that end of the world, it's more of a love song note to it, rather than the end of the world volcanoes erupting, earthquakes happening, the earth blowing up type. But, you know, that that's how a lot of folks have interpreted this song, because, you know, they point to the fact that Prince was a Seventh-day Adventist, which is a form of Christianity. And Revelation does talk about these notions. And I kind of like this. I read this one interpretation that I actually kind of liked. Purple as a color is typically associated with the royalty, yep. for example. And so if you think about God or or Jesus as being kind of royals and this idea that you've got purple rain coming down and it's, it's as if God are, and you know, and Jesus are showering people with, you know, like grace or salvation, if you will. Um, this idea of purple rain kind of trickling down, which I thought was kind of an interesting interpretation on the song in, in the light of kind of rebirth and, and newness, you know, lyrically in the song, which kind of takes it to a whole, whole other level of interpretation, but I kind of liked yeah. it. I thought it was an interesting interpretation on the song. Yeah, um, I'd like to add that Prince himself, as a uh, celebrity music musician, whatever it may be, was kind of a closed-off person. Actually, if you look yeah. into anything about him, he's very kept to himself. Doesn't try to be in the spotlight. Where he is a good showmaker, showman, basically when he does his uh, live performances and everything, he 
just doesn't want his life public like some of the people that are out there. Yeah. So, a, a lot of the things about him are left up to mystery, I would say. Yeah. Well, and I, I also read too, and kind of going back to the apocalyptic tone. I mean, if you think about it, this song was written in the 80s at the height of the Cold War, the arms race. And so some have argued that, you know, that was Prince trying to say that like the world, trying to make a political stance in some way and saying that like the road we're going down, that we're heading towards destruction and ruin. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I necessarily buy that. I, I really think that the song is about hope and renewal. Otherwise, I don't think he would have given us that third verse. Yeah. And I also think based on the second verse, it's uh, not apocalyptic. So yeah. I never wanted to be a weekend lover. I only wanted to be some kind of friend. Yeah. You know? I, I agree. I, so I, I, for those that have interpreted the song that way, I'm sorry, but I disagree with you. <laughs> um, but, you know, the other thing too, that I kind of like about this idea of renewal, rain and water in and in a, is a cleansing mechanism, right? So this idea that if you're being showered with rain, it's cleansing you or absolving you of all, all things in the past, right? And it kind of washes all that away and furthers that imagery of, of renewal. I just, I kind of like that, that imagery that's behind it. I think it's, it's really nice. Yeah. And I also think that the song, if you listen to it, like on the radio or on CD or anything, haven't seen the movie, Mm-hmm. Has a different tone to it than if you watch the movie with it. Yeah. Well, and I think I think a lot of people too try to tie, in addition to the movie, obviously, but I think a lot of people try to tie another song of Prince's to this. Um, it, it's a song called 1999. It was off a, an album that he had released prior to this. And um, that, that song came out and everyone was losing their minds about the whole 1999, 2000, yeah. like, uh, chaos like this is the end of the world <laughs> exactly so i think i just think because in that song he says when i woke up this morning could have sworn it was judgment day the sky was all purple there were people running everywhere trying to run from the destruction and so you know he's saying the sky's purple it's you know the world's ending so i think i think that idea of purple sky purple rain people try to tend to tie these apocalyptic imagery into it and but <laughs> I just don't buy it. I don't think that's what this song is. The song is hope and renewal. And yeah. so I that's that's how I see it. However it gets you through the day. Think of it that way. <laughs> exactly. I mean, certainly you get I mean that first verse is right. I mean, it's it's about a relationship ending, right? So it starts off bad, but you've got to build that up in order to to get to where you're you're ultimately going. So absolutely. But anyway, I it's it's a really great song. It's some great guitar riffs in this song. Yeah, the original they sent to Stevie Nicks was a 10-minute instrumental. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? You know, another kind of cool fact that I came across. Apparently, after he wrote the song, he thought that it sounded eerily similar to um, Journeys Faithfully. Yeah. And so he actually reached out to Jonathan Cain from, from Journey just to say, hey, I, I wrote this and I really feel like it sounds really, really similar. 
But Kane reached back and said, no, nah, that's different enough. You've only got like four chords here that are the same. Like we're, it's good. Like, and, and, you know, so he ended up releasing it, but the other thing too, Greg, I don't, did you ever see his Super Bowl performance of this? I did. I Absolutely it. amazing. A lot of people did not like it actually, because they thought it was over-sexualized. Yeah, Which, but you know uh, what? Kind of did that feel like in a lot of his performances. So, yeah. like, I don't know what people were expecting when they were like, "Hey, Prince is going to be performing." Like, okay, that's how he always performs. Like, yeah, uh, it's not different than what he normally does. Like, exactly. Well, and it just I think it was it was so cool. I mean, right? He he ended his set with "Purple Rain." Uh, this was in two thousand seven, I believe it was. Yeah, two thousand seven. And so he ends a set with purple rain. And of course it's pouring rain. He's surrounded by, you know, like all these purple jumbotrons and everything. So it just kind of sets, you know, this idea of purple rain. And uh, I don't know. I think it's a great performance. I yeah. think it really kind of nails his master. And he's like wearing like, you know, I think I saw like a little clip where it was, you know, the stage was insanely slippery he's like running around playing guitar and it's just like, it's, it's wild. I think it shows his <laughs> true, uh, true genius as a performer. Yeah. And kind of on the downer note, this was um, his last song that he played live in 2016. Yeah. Yep. And then he died a week later. Yeah. It's crazy. He performed it April 14th, 2016 at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, and then he passed a week later. Yep. So, so um, I think we let, you know, it'll be interesting to see if how much of the, um, you know, the music he recorded, if they ever posthumously release. Um, yeah. Supposedly he's got hundreds, if not thousands of songs they never released. Uh, I know there was also some issues. There was a concert or something where they used him in the that video electronic stuff where they can have someone play after they've died yeah that thing, yep. you know what i'm talking about yeah the like the they, augmented reality type thing yeah the augmented reality things and they actually used him in it and there's a there's a lot of issues with that because i know like previously he had made statements that relating to basically don't do that <laughs> with me interesting and they they did it <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that you always get. Whenever an artist dies, you always get into these, you know, debates on. Well, they didn't release it, so should you know? Did they want it released? You know, you kind of get into all these arguments with people, yeah. and you know, I. You're a celebrity, you don't own yourself anymore. The public owns you. Yeah, it's I don't know. I can, I can see. I can see the argument, right? They, it is their creative works. Um. But, you know, I, I tend to think of it like an artist, like a, like a painter, for example. You know, we come across a, an unknown work of Monet or something. Like, no one's going to sit here and argue about should it be mass produced for mass consumption or anything. I mean, like, it's, you know, should it be reprinted in a book, for example. Um, so, I don't know. It's kind of the, it's kind of the same. I kind of like, I'm kind of like you. If once you release it, you know. Let, let people hear it. You know, I, I realize that yeah, I think the issue, cool. the issue with his though, was they did like that video animatronics thing where they like, yeah. they, they do the hologram thing. Mm -hmm. And that that's what they did. And that's why I was like, 
saying he he had previously stated that he doesn't want to do that. Okay. Yeah, I guess I was kind of equating it to the music too, which I guess is probably I don't know if he had a statement on that, but yeah, kind of a similar similar concept. Anyway, chart wise, this hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, it never hit number one. It was and it stayed at number two for two weeks. It did hit number one in Belgium and the Netherlands. <laughs> and the and, cash uh, box top 100 number one true number two in the billboard charts and what's interesting is actually after he did die in april of 2016 it, it hit the charts again uh peaked at number four in the u.s in in 2016 and it hit number one in france and what's interesting is and scotland one, i'm sorry and scotland yes and scotland um but about the, the in France, it's interesting. So it hit number one in 2016, where it had only peaked at number 12 when it was originally released. So uh, it actually had a better performance there during its kind of resurgence after his death. Yeah, and it also peaked number 196 in 2014 in France. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. I wonder what, what prompted it in 2014. I didn't see yeah, that. It has 2014 and 2012. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's certainly one of those songs that kind of sees a resurgence every once in a while. It's it's a popular song, and actually, Rolling Stone listed it at number one hundred and forty four on their list of five hundred greatest songs of all time. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So it, it's certainly one of those songs that I think has longevity and will will be around for probably a long while. <laughs> And, um, you know, certainly it's one of those things where some event could spark a resurgence and people wanting to listen to it. You never know. Yeah, definitely. Greg, you want to talk a little bit about your song? Yeah. So my song is I Wish It Would Rain by The Temptations. It came out December 21st of 1967. There was always a lot of changing members in the group for the Temptations, whether it was the lead singer, who, whoever it may be. So the leads on this one, David Ruffin on the vocals, great singer, amazing with that. And then you Terrible have Eddie Eagle. Kendricks, Melvin Franklin, Paul Williams, and Otis Williams on the backup of vocals for that. So definitely they have a great enhancing feature to David Ruffin's deep, uh, deep voice and Eccentric, well, I guess eccentric is not the word, but amazing singing for the song as well. The song was originally written by Roger, I'm going to mess this up, uh, Penzabine. And it was kind of a darker song, I would say, for The Temptations. I wouldn't say it's like the darkest song that they've had or anything like by any means like that. But it definitely had a darker note to it or a sadder note, I guess. And actually, one week after the release of the song, the the original writer, Roger, actually committed suicide. So it was very unfortunate. So I think a lot of the heartbrokenness that the song is about is kind of stems from him. And it's not just another song. It's some actual, like, deep down, distraught thoughts from, from someone who's a little bit sad or troubled, however you want to label him. What do you think is you say it's one of their sadder songs? Do you think you think this is sadder than Papa was a Rolling Stone? I, I guess you could classify it as sadder than that. 
I don't want to say what their saddest song is. I, I don't really have that off the top of my head right now. Sure. But, I just, this song screams depression to me. Yeah, it, it does scream <laughs> a lot of depression. I feel like the way it is sung, though, there is some like, there's a lot of feeling to it. Yeah. If you just go through the words and just read the words, it sounds sad. But it's no sadder than like your typical like love song, right? But the feeling that David Ruffin gives to it, I really think helps like amplify the sadness in the song. Yeah. He was I he was talented, man. It's um it's a shame he got hooked on drugs and his life was cut short. But yeah. Have you ever seen the uh Temptations movie? Played on VH1 a lot. Yeah, it's a great that was actually my introduction to the Temptations, um, was seeing that movie. Yeah, same here. There were a lot of issues with it though for Dave Ruffin's like estate. They mm. felt that they defamed him throughout the movie and made it worse than it actually was. I wasn't part of the temptation, so I have no idea how bad it actually was. But just going off that movie, there probably was a little bit of embellishment on how bad it was, but there's also probably embellishment on like how good the rest of the members in the temptations were. Yeah. Look at who's writing the history, right? I mean, Otis Otis Williams is the the lone survivor, and I'm still touring with the band, by the way. Yep. Um, there but, were still other members alive at that time um, when the movie came out, but I think he was the major contributor to the movie. And was he? Because at the very end, Melvin dies, and he was. I believe there were more people part of it. Well, he so they, had they've had like new coming, like as far as right. original members, he may have been the only one alive at that point. Um, yeah, I think that's what I was referring to because obviously, still, they've you know, the, the temptation still tore today. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of people that have been associated with the temptations, uh, whether it's for just a short amount of time or a very long amount of time. Yeah, any hoozle getting into the lyrics, love that word, any hoozle. <laughs> as i can get so before we started this uh podcast today i was reading through the lyrics again not even with the song going and i was just like singing it like i was david ruffin i won't do that for you guys i'll save you the, the heartbreak of that unless you <laughs> actually listen to the song but the the first verse you jump straight into it sunshine blue skies please go away girl found another and gone away so his girl left him for someone else that's the whole premise of the song and now he feels torn down and that his future went away and he has no future now so he just wants to like sulk in his gloom and hope that it becomes overcast rainy the cloud like sunshine goes away so no one else can have happiness if i can't have my happiness and also if you felt sad in your life, you probably enjoy those rainy days where it's just starts raining and then you can just enjoy the sound of the, the rain outside and just kind of sulk in your sadness, which psychologically works out for people because like if other people are feeling sad or that's why you go see like sad movies if you're sad is because, oh, someone's having a worse time than me. My life isn't actually that bad. So it kind of goes into us like a psychological mind state of why you would want it to rain. Getting into the next line, 
next couple lines of it. So badly want to go outside, but everyone knows that man ain't supposed to cry. So going into that old mindset, I think society nowadays is getting away from it, but men are supposed to be strong, not cry, not show their any of these feelings or emotions that they have in the past. And then he talks about, well, he just has to get over that and he just has to cry because it eases the pain, just laying out that emotion to ease your pain end your stuff. Well, not end your suffering, I guess, but lessen how much you are suffering and then wishing it would rain so badly. And that goes into the course to let it rain. And then back into the next verse for day in, day out, my tears stained face, press against the window pane. So just more of that sadness, just like pressing your face, like looking out, out to that rain, just seeing that the rain's coming down desperately hoping for it because that's how you feel inside. And especially with like, I think he uses the tears here as rain, a rain metaphor. Like he has tears streaming down his face, similar to how rain is streaming down from the sky. Yeah. It's actually really lyrically. It's a beautiful song. Yes, it is. And David Ruffin and the temptations, all of them who participate in the song make really really work to make it work yeah i i agree and additionally so any of the temptations motown songs like this the funk brothers there's not like a actual list of who exactly is in there in that group but they did all the like recording and everything for all the motown bands and everything while i was in detroit and I think they did an amazing time on this song as well. So just shout out to the Punk Brothers and how well they did the, the music to the song as well. Yeah. But this song is a little bit less popular. I feel Well, I wouldn't say that's less popular. I'd say a little less background to it than Purple Rain had, whereas like Purple Rain had all these resurgences and everything, whereas there's a lot of covers of this song, such as Ike and Tina Turner, let's see, Glass Nine, the Pips, Marvin Gaye. It's a very highly covered song. However, I don't think it has the accolades like Purple Rain had with, with charting number one and everything like that. It hit number four on the Billboard Hot 100 when it was first released. Yep. And number one on the R&B singles chart. So, I mean, that's still... Yeah, it still did get number one. Yep. And that was back in 1968, it looks like. Yes. Yeah, when the, uh, a little bit after this song came out. Yep. Yeah, yeah it was released in uh, right before Christmas of 67. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously charting and just in the new year. Yeah, and there, the song also stemmed an album where was the focal point of the album called the temptations which it would rain yeah there's a bunch of songs with one side two side for the tape that they had it on or a whole bunch of songs that just kind of related to that same thing mm-hmm. i love this song it's really good it is a good song i yeah. it it is depressing i feel like if you really stop and think about what it means or what it's talking about but the music musically it's kind of upbeat to, to a certain extent yeah that that's why i kind of think of it as not a super depressing song because it has the upbeatness of it to counteract the melancholy like 
sadness of the song as well. Whereas like you brought up Papo as a Rolling Stone earlier, that kind of has an upbeat tone to it, but I don't, I feel like it's not, I don't know. It doesn't put me in the same mood that this one does. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Um, I think, well, I think Papa rolls was a Rolling Stone is a little more explicit. Whereas this, I feel like is more of a metaphor. To a, uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, because yeah, Papa was Rolling Stone is like, hey, your dad's not around. Yeah. <laughs> like this, um, because he's out doing what whatever he's doing. Yeah, this one, it was more like how how you feel yeah. inside after someone leaves you. Yeah, it's a little Papa was a Rolling Stone, it's more fact-based, vice feeling based, I feel like. Yeah. I I yeah. That's a good description or a good way of describing it. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think when we start thinking about these two songs together, you know, both, you know, we, we talked about how the first verse of Purple Ring has this element to it of a relationship ending, whether that's a friendship or uh, someone of a significant other or, or whatever. But I think, you know, Purple Ring takes it a step further, right? And goes to that you know, that idea of renewal or um, new birth or, you know, new life that we talked about earlier. I think in some ways that makes Purple Rain a more optimistic song. I would, I would agree because Temptations, it doesn't leave on an optimistic note. It just keeps talking about how he wants to cry when he goes yeah. outside and to, to the world outside my tears. I refuse to explain how I wish it would rain. So the whole time he just he just wants it to consistently rain. He doesn't yep. want it. He wants it to get better, but he doesn't feel like it will ever get better. Right. And actually, you know, you know, we talked a little bit about you know the songwriter and how I wish it would rain specifically, and how you know he wrote this song based on his own personal life experience. He actually wrote another song uh, for the Temptations during that same period called "I Could Never Love Another After Loving You." which was considered to kind of be a follow-up to this song, I guess, in terms of kind of a storyline, if you want to consider it that. Yeah. It's two, two super depressing songs. So yeah. Feel sorry for anyone that has to feel like that. And it's terrible. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, obviously for, in his case, it ended in bad terms, but he also gave some, great songs for others to perform and to make something good out of. So there's that as well on the brighter note of it, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, and as I said, you know, turn on purple rain and get that uplifting ending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and watch it live. It's much better when you see Prince perform things live. It's great. Yeah. He just brings so much energy to the stage. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely. Greg, I don't I don't really have much else for these two. Uh, I, I don't either, Matt. Would you like to discuss what we got going on for next week, Matt? Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so we're going to take on duos or duets, uh, if you will. In, in my case, it's actually a duet with Elton John and Kiki D. Don't go breaking my heart. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. What do you got, Greg? I have 
Unforgettable by Nat King Cole and his daughter, Natalie Cole. So that'll be a great one. Uh, nice. Seeing, seeing their duo mesh up with that one. And I, honestly, that's the song that got me in the Nat King Cole. So I really love that song. And it's in one of my favorite movies too, The Watchmen. It's at the beginning of it. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm excited to do this episode. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, I appreciate everyone for tuning in, taking a watch on us on what whatever app or website you took a look at us on and continue to leave comments or subscribe to us and check us out on Apple, Google, YouTube. We have our Facebook and Twitter as well. I also, we also just started an Instagram too. You can catch us there at Record Mashup. And leave us an email at recordmashup at gmail.com. Let us know what you think or if you want some other insights, let us know and we can bring that up to you in email or on our next podcast. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. All right. Bye.